in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13 is where we will be this morning. And as you turn in your Bibles there, I've got to warn you about this sermon. There are times when God calls a man to stand in the pulpit and preach a hard message. There are times when we come to passages in Scripture that that are a little bit intimidating to proclaim to a congregation of people. This is what you get when you go verse by verse through books in the Bible or sections in the Bible. And our motto here is that we don't run away from hard passages. We, we run up to them and we trust God when he brings us to these hard passages of text. And so this morning I've got one of those. You're going to need to get over me. And you're going to really need to fix your heart on God. Because I'm only going to proclaim to you what God has proclaimed to us. So get over me and focus on the God who is speaking to us through these scriptures. Today's topic is so countercultural to American society right now that this is an unpopular message for some. I pray it's not for you. And you have a challenge before you this morning here, and that is to listen to the Word of God as just that, the Word of God, and not the Word of a preacher. Let me set the table. Okay, let's set the playing field here for what we're dealing with. Peter has written a letter to Christians He calls them exiles. They're living in a world that they don't belong in for eternity. Their true citizenship is in heaven. And he's giving instructions to them, to us, on how to live in a place that we don't belong. And as he wrote this, he wrote this, we think, somewhere in a a five to seven year period in the mid-60s A.D. And at the time that he wrote this, the Roman leadership... The, 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 the office of Caesar was occupied by a man named Nero. And Nero, if you don't know Nero, his name, the very mention of his name should send chills up and down your spine. Chills of terror and fear. He was the emperor from 54 A.D. to 68 A.D. In 64 A.D., Rome burned much of it. He blamed it on the Christian community. Many, many historians and many people from that era attribute the fire to Nero himself. And they claim that he had much of Rome burned so that he could build on that rubble his palace. So he had evil ambitions. And he blamed Christians for this. And he persecuted Christians. In fact, historians tell us that he used Christians. He burned them in his garden as a source of light at night. Christians were the fuel for his lamps, if you will. He had his mother assassinated. He poisoned his stepbrother. He promoted all kinds of sinful actions. Under his leadership, homosexuality thrived. Infanticide, the killing of children, thrived. Violence Governmental corruption thrived under his rule. This is who the emperor was when Peter wrote our text this morning. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake 
to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. When I talked to Tyler this week and he told me we were going to sing, Give Me Faith, I said, yes. Let's sing it right before the sermon. Give me faith to trust what you say. I'm going to urge you this morning as we work through these verses that you would have the faith to trust what God says on this issue. Because this is good for us and it's very timely. It's very timely for us as we live in a society here in 2014 that needs this message. Here we sit, 2014 A.D., Here's the condition that we're in. We're in, a six, we're in year six of an eight-year reign, right? We're in year six of our current presidential reign. The Christian community is being persecuted every day. I give you as Exhibit A, Hobby Lobby. Exhibit B, Chick-fil-A. And we could go on and on and on. Prayer in school, attacked, almost eradicated. Ten Commandments removed from everywhere. Fifty-four million babies aborted since 1973. That's infanticide. The biblical view of marriage is on an absolute, under absolute assault. Sounds just like the era of Nero. Governmental corruption, yes. We, we live in the same times that Peter's exiles lived in. This word is living and real, and it never, ever goes out of date. I saw this last week. I can't remember what this is, but I think it's the Tarrant County Appraisal District is sending out on all their letterhead now, In God We Trust. Tarrant County, Texas. Absolutely under attack. We cannot put God even on our stationery. We live in hard times. From stationery and mottos that we put on that to the unborn and to marriage. And we are growing in our experience of persecution for our stances, our biblical stances on all of these issues. So we live in an era that feels a lot like Nero's reign. With a, with a president and a congress, all the way down, state governors, there is corruption everywhere. And it is a hard place for us to live as Christians. Let me read for you now. In a, in a 2014 A.D. mindset, let's read again this passage. Okay, we read it after we heard about Nero. Let's read it now as we consider our modern times. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a covering for evil. But living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. There are some truths here. There are four that I want to lift out this morning. Four rock-solid biblical truths that Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling us to live out in our society. And here's the first one. We are to understand from this text the true subject of our submission. The true subject of our submission is not the governmental authorities, the human institutions, the emperors, the presidents. No, the subject of our submission is God. And I want you to get your pen out. If, you're, if, if, if you can, please write in your Bible this morning. Here's how you read. When you read your word, you read slowly and you look for key things. And there are four times that we are told in these five verses that we are to do what I'm talking about this morning for God's sake. So watch verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Just underline for the Lord's sake. Right out of the gate, Peter is drawing our attention to a Godward perspective on submission to government. Second one, look in verse 15. For this is the will of God. Third, verse 16. We are to live as servants of God. And then fourth, in 17, we are to fear God. So I stand before you this morning saying we are to honor the emperor. We are to be subject to every human institution out of worship for God who established those. So we honor the Lord when we honor his institutions that he's established. Now, here's the second truth. Here's the second one. God establishes human governments. They do not rise up on their own. They are not some mere concoction of humanity. They are a provision from God from long ago. In verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. There are no presidents, prime ministers, chancellors, czars, dictators. None of those exist without the sovereign hand of God permitting them to exist. No one gets elected into office without God overseeing that process. There's no ruler or authority that has been set on a post of seniority and leadership over a people without God's permissible will. God has never said, oops, how did Adolf Hitler slip in on this? And I cannot explain how a man like that was allowed to reign, okay? I can't. But we cannot say that God was surprised by that. He puts kings on the thrones and he removes them. And the scriptures tell us that he has the king's hearts 
in the palm of his hand like water. We have to trust what he says and that it's good. In Romans, Paul, Paul is writing exactly like Peter does. Turn over to Romans chapter 13. And I want you to hold both places because we're going to be back and forth between 1 Peter and Romans 13. Listen to what Paul writes. Because I'm telling you, God is the one who establishes human governments. In Romans 13, starting in verse 1, here's what Paul writes. Here's what God tells us. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Sounds just like Peter. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. This is clear, is it not? Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. There's nothing conditional in what Peter wrote us. There's nothing conditional in what Paul has written us. He doesn't say, if your party got elected, submit to him. If not, you get eight years off. I'm going to relax this for four to eight years. No. All authorities are put in place by a sovereign God. And even if they're performing badly, even if they're performing sinfully, we're going to talk about this in a minute, they are still to receive honor from God's people. They're still to be honored. How in the world do we do this? We'll talk about that. Here's the third one. So first one, we do this for God. Second, God establishes human governments. Third, human governments are intended to serve God's purposes. He does raise them up for a purpose. And here's the purpose. They're sent by the the emperors are appointed and the emperors send governors to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's a purpose. I attribute this to a term that I call God's common grace. It is common grace. It is gracious of God to establish human governments because even the worst of governments that have existed on this earth, there has been some semblance of order and there has been some protection some degree of protection for humanity from evil. Now, many governments do a really bad job of this. But generally speaking, this is what God has designed governments to do. We're still in Romans 13. Look at verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That is the role of government, to punish evil and to reward and promote good. That's why he's created governments. The authorities, look at this in verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For by, for because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. Governing authorities, ministers of God. 
Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? Sometimes it's not even remotely close. That We don't sense any ministerial service of God coming from our governing authorities. And we're going to talk about that because that has happened in the Bible. Can you imagine a, a society without government? I mean, one moment you're going, yeah, no taxes, no city codes. Okay, but, but then, oh, no city codes and no taxes, no roads, no. I mean, so there is a good purpose for civil governments. And a society without them is anarchy. All human beings are fallen. Everyone would do what was right in their own eyes, and there would be no one to govern that. So governments are a gift, yet we know very well that governments do not carry out God's will, and they do not function as God designed them to function day in and day out. We, we know this. Do you think Peter knew this when he wrote this during the reign of Nero? Yeah. They had the same problems, probably worse, in the moment than we have. And he still was inspired by God to write this. He didn't write this to some happy Christians that living in a, in a commune somewhere that had some leadership amongst them. And, hey, just, just be reverent to the authorities. No, he wrote this when people lived as exiles in war times against their faith. The same thing that we live and experience today. So sometimes we've got to acknowledge, sometimes governments praise those who do evil and punish those who do good. It gets that twisted. It has in America this month. But it does not relax the command from God to honor every human institution as appointed and raised up by Him for His sake, for His name, for His glory, and at the end of the day, for our good. Here's number four. How are we to live under such governments that don't carry out God's commands? How are we to live under a government that punishes good and rewards evil? Verse 15, back over in Peter, chapter 2. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And that ignorance is not just intellectual ignorance. That ignorance is submission to God and obedience to His commands ignorance. It is willful disobedience. Verse 16, here it is. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. How are we to do this? How are we to live towards our government and our leaders who who don't lead well, well, look right back up in 1 Peter 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Okay, we had this last week. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what we're talking about here, if you package this and put a title on it, I call this evangelistic, what is it? Evangelistic citizenship. We are to live our lives as citizens of, in our case, the United States of America, with an evangelistic 
mindset. We are to conduct ourselves amongst the Gentiles. Remember, Gentiles are people that do not obey and submit to God. We are to conduct ourselves before them in honorable ways with a purpose. So that when they see our good deeds, our submission, our honoring the emperor, they will give glory to God on the day of visitation when Jesus Christ comes again. That's evangelistic living. And how we conduct ourselves towards, yes, bad government makes an evangelistic statement to the lost world. It does. We are to act like people, Peter says. We are to live as people who are free. Do you remember what he has said to us above earlier in First Peter chapter 1? We have been ransomed. From the futile ways of our forefathers. We have been ransomed from sin. It happened on a cross where Jesus Christ died. And it happened the third day when he rose again. And he defeated sin and death forever. When we believe in that truth. We have been ransomed. We have been set free. And we are no longer in bondage. To living in sinful ways. And so we don't use our freedom as a cover for evil because we're free if we use this freedom as a covering for evil we're declaring i'm not free i've not been ransomed because i've not believed in the one who ransomed me this is this is gospel living at the bottom line this is christianity 101 if you are truly freed you will not use your freedom to sin and if you're sinning, you're demonstrating that you're not free. Now, be careful, because we sin every day. What makes a Christian different from everyone else? We're repenters. When we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, we've got a soft heart. The heart was stone, but God replaced it with a heart of flesh, youth. We talked about that this morning. When we have this soft heart that is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we get convicted, and we go, I sinned, Father. I have sinned. Will you forgive me? Remind me that I'm ransomed. Free me from the bondage of that temptation to rail against this government. So, we are to live like people who are free from the bondage of sin. And we cannot, we cannot use our freedom as a covering for evil. This verse calls us to do good. But we must not obey governments that tell us to sin either. Let's go there now. Because when our government tells us to sin, we are right because we fear God. We only honor the emperor. We fear God and we will not defy God's commands even when a government that he established tells us to. And there's a great biblical example of this. Have you heard of Daniel in the lion's den? This is exactly what Daniel was faced with. Listen to this. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 7, all the high officials of the kingdom went to Darius, the king, and the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. And here it is. That whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, Darius shall be cast into the den of lions. 
30-day moratorium on worshiping any other God, including the living God. They only for 30 days can worship you, Darius. Set that law in place. And he wrote that law in. Verse 10, then Daniel, when he knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, capital G, God, as he had done previously. And you know the rest of this story. Those satraps and those prefects and those governors spied him out, caught him in the act, go to Darius and say, your servant Daniel has defied your decree. Throw him in the lion's den. And he was thrown in the lion's den. This was because his government that God appointed told him to sin against God and he refused. So we do not obey governments blindly. No, no, no. We're talking about honoring authorities, not obeying authorities. We obey God. And when our authorities call us to do things that are in line with God's commands, we obey those authorities. Speed limits. Right? Sorry. I get to beat on you like I beat on myself all week. And I drove the speed limit this week. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I have a problem with that. And this week, as I preach this, I found myself driving the speed limit. <laughs> wow. So here's Daniel. He is defying an order of the king because that order defied the order of the king. We're good with this. We do this. But in, the, in all the while, just because we don't like a law doesn't mean we can defy that law. We also are not to remain silent. We, we don't sit by silently as Christians saying, Up, oh, honor the king, that's their rule, let's just let her rip. I'm not going to do it, but no, we, we speak out against sinful government actions. Now, we don't speak out with AR-15s marching on the mall in Washington, D.C., but we speak out. We do have a voice. We can be used by God to steer this government into a direction that honors Him and protects life. So we, we don't remain silent. We're not just dumbed down to the point that we're just living again in a commune and hoping for Jesus to come back. No, we're agents of grace. We're agents of gospel tenacity going into the public court and the public square, proclaiming the goodness of Jesus Christ, pleading with our leaders to submit to God's commands. So we're activists. It's not wrong. But we do it with honor. We do it with honor. And that's hard for us. Especially when we watch news talk shows and we listen in our cars to news talk shows. This is not happening on what we listen to in, in political talk shows. The conservative camp is ripping and dishonoring the emperor for 15 minutes between each commercial break. It is all-out assault on the emperor and his governors that he has sent out. Now, there's a place for us to speak on the radio waves and on the TV waves against what this... But there's, there's a way to do it that still honors. And when we do such, we're reflecting that we are people of God. We have no license to civil insurrection, 
disobedient actions or evil responses to what evil governments do. We cannot use our freedom as a covering for evil. Even when we stand against governments that we don't agree with, we have to do it in a Christian, honorable way. Defending our rights in sinful ways, okay, can be the cause of sending someone to hell. Because they're not going to see any Christ in how we're railing and dishonoring the emperor. So to, to defend our rights in ungodly ways could be something that could be used to send someone to hell because they would be so confused by the Christianity that we're proclaiming. All right, here's, here's one more thing I want to say. Those were four points that uh, Peter gives us here. Number one is that this is for God's sake. Number two... Uh, God establishes human governments. Number three, human governments are intended to serve God's purposes. And number four, we are given instructions for how to live under bad governments and that we're not to use our evil as a covering for our freedom as a covering for evil. Now, what does this look like? What does this look like in our lives? Well, Peter tells us in verse 17, we are to honor everyone. We are to love the brotherhood. We are to fear God and we are to honor the emperor. Let's just talk about these real briefly. Honor everyone. I want to look at the Bible. I want the Bible to tell me what honor everyone means. I think it means Genesis 1.27. All man is made in God's image and in God's likeness. Genesis 1.27. And so every human being, everyone, Peter says, is to be honored by us. We are to see them as an image bearer of God. Second, he says, love the brotherhood. That's us, fellow believers, in this church, in this town, around the world. We are to love the brotherhood. Jesus tells us in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God. Man, the Bible is full of fear God verses. Proverbs. Okay, let's go to Acts because I want to see what Peter says about fearing God. Acts chapter 5 verse 29. When questioned about what he's proclaiming, he says, We must obey God rather than men. That's how we live as Christians in this fallen world. We obey God, not men. And when men tell us to do what God says, we obey men. Because they are pointing us to live out godly lives. Here's the fourth one. Honor the emperor. He comes back. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Because that is what this whole passage is about. And I give you Romans 13, 7. And what Paul said about this. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And Paul's writing in the context of governing authorities that have their authority from God and God alone. That doesn't feel good. I, I, I don't feel good honoring a government that's doing what our government is doing. I want to be honest. That does not feel good. And the minute I say that doesn't feel good, I need to immediately follow it with, I'm a fallen man. And my feelings are fallen. And as right and as justified as I feel inside, 
I've got to understand that there's, there's sin in my heart. And I've got, to, I've got to set that aside and I've got to say, Lord, what do I do with such a government? That takes humility. And can I say that? Because I'm not humble every day of the week on this issue. I'm not. And, and by the way, we're, we're talking about up and down. We're talking from the President of the United States to a police officer to a, a tax assessor. To, to a, a, a coding agency that's going to approve the drilling of a new well. had a conversation this week with Colton about wells being drilled and they have to get approved by a governing agency. And it's just a bureaucracy and it's a, a stop in the action. Even that we have to honor at that level. So this is up and down the governing authorities that God has established. And it just doesn't feel good. But we're fallen, and we're called to honor because God has established these things. Here's what I want to do. I want us to turn to 1 Samuel 24. And, and I'm not even really going to comment on these passages that we're going to read. I'm going to let the Bible wash us, okay? I'm going to let it wash over our hearts. And, and I think when we read these two accounts of honoring and revering God's authority, I think you're going to get the point of how we're to live as Christians because these are two extreme, radical examples of honoring God's authorities that He's established on earth. So the first one is 1 Samuel 24. This is the story of David and Saul. If you remember, Saul has been raised up by the Israelites. Saul is not God's choice to lead Israel, by the way, God's choice to be the king over Israel is God himself. But Israel says, no, we want a man king like all of the other nations that are around us. Well, okay. And they went and they got him a stud. They got a 6'5", 240, ripped, chiseled Saul. Because he looks good. We want him to be our king. And they got him. But God had another plan. God said, I'm going to have a, a king for them. And he's a little runny shepherd boy named David. And I don't judge outwardly. I look into the heart. And he's going to be the king. And God has already told David at this point in Second in 1 Samuel, David, you're going to be the king and the ruler over my people. And I'm going to have one that's going to come from you that's going to sit on the throne forever, Jesus Christ. And so David, in this moment, knows from God he will be the king of Israel. He's just waiting for that moment for God to say, it's now. Now watch this. In this time, Saul knows this, and Saul hates David, and Saul has tried to kill David countless times. Run a spear through him. He's had armies hunting him down. David's been on the run, hiding out in the mountains and caves, okay? So Saul is acting as a bad governor. He's trying to kill David. 1 Samuel 24, 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 choice men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Really? Come on, Saul, we're having church here. 
That's a real, I mean, the Bible's real, by the way. No one's going to write something like that in if this isn't true history, okay? All right, sorry. I said I wasn't going to comment. Now, David and his men were setting in the innermost parts of the cave. And when the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. And then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, my king, the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Reverence for the Lord's anointed. One page over probably for you, 26. 1 Samuel 26, let's pick up in verse 6. We've got another encounter where Saul has pursued David yet again. And in verse 6, David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai, by the way, Saul is encamped out in this open area. And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then said Abishai to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please, let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. And they leave the scene and they call out to Saul and they say, Hey, Saul, look what I have. You know how I got this. I was right next to you. I could have run you through. He had reverence for not the king, not the office, although we should. He had reverence to God because God anointed Saul to be the king at that time. And David is so sold out on God. He so fears God and honors the emperor that even though he knows he's going to be the king of Israel... He says, it won't be because I handled up on my own business. He's waiting for the Lord to stick him into the office at the right time and in the right way. And I'm going to tell you, David has such reverence for the king Saul that Saul does get wounded in battle. And Saul is dying. 
And this little servant boy comes along to Saul, and Saul says, man, run me through, kill me so that my enemies can't get me. And this guy ran him through and put him out of his misery. And he goes to David boasting, hey, man, I killed Saul. I put him all the way out. And what did David do to this servant boy? He had him killed for striking the Lord's anointed. David could have easily said, man, glad somebody did it. I didn't have to do it. My hands are clean. Way to go, pal. Uh-uh. This reverence for God's authority on Saul was all the way. All the way. So our challenge this morning, when we hear a text like this from Peter, is to live like David lived. To live like David lived in a time when David was being hunted like an animal by the king that God had anointed. This will be quick, but I've got one more for you. We looked at David. Let's go look at the son of David. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 47. Our Christ had reverence for God's appointed authorities, so much so that he revered them all the way to the cross that they erected and hung him on. Matthew 26, 47. Jesus has just been with his disciples in the upper room with the Lord's Supper. He's prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has departed. And while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. And with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one who I kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, and this hymn, by the way, Peter who wrote these words that I'm preaching this morning. Peter cut the ear off. Jesus says to Peter, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But then how can the scriptures be fulfilled? So Peter, the author of this text that we're to be in subject to every human institution, was not subject to the human institution at the time Jesus was arrested. And he cuts off the ear of one of those that arrests Jesus. And Jesus superglues it back on, heals him and says, no, no, no. No, this is not how this is going to happen. Peter says this, just listen, 1 Peter 2, 23. This is the same guy. He committed no sin, speaking of his Christ. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. David has shown us how we are to relate to governing authorities. Jesus himself shows us how we are to relate to governing authorities 
even when they are perpetrators of wickedness. We are to fear God. God is the avenger of His people. We are to honor God because God has given these authority over us. So here's my conclusion, and I'm going to get very, very raw here. What, what if the government revokes our Second Amendment right? The right to bear arms. What if they amend the Second Amendment? I have talked to men for 10, 15 years who say, I'm stockpiling arms, stockpiling ammo, and if they come to my place, they better be ready for war. I read bumper stickers around town. You want my gun? You're going to have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands. You come to deal with me, take my freedom of speech, you better know what you're signing up for. And I'm telling you, I don't hear any of that in this book. I don't hear any of that. And I hope that those that say that, I, thought, I hope they're talking trash and they won't actually follow through. But y'all, let's be Christians that don't even talk trash. Let, let's, let's trust in a sovereign God. Let's fear Him. We are not to take lives. That is for Him to do. We are to revere the King, the Emperor, the President. And we are to say, Lord, we're exiles. We don't belong here. Will you deliver us through this? Will you protect us from these feelings of anger and hatred and lack of reverence for your authority? That's a tough message. That's a tough message. But that is the word of God here. And Christ demonstrated it in his arrest. And David demonstrated it in his treatment of Saul. So how are you on the command to honor every human institution for the Lord's sake? How are you doing on this? The answer can be found on your Facebook page. Facebook is ripping the emperor right and left, disparaging our government authorities, and contradicting the word of God. The proof can be found on the bumper of your car, maybe, how you're doing on this. We cannot take this command lightly. In, in verse 16 or of 1 Peter 2, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We're to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against us as evildoers, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Yeah, Peter wrote this in sixties, the 60s A.D. when Nero was king. What happened to Peter? Peter's life ended crucified upside down on a cross that Nero's men erected. You might say... Didn't work out too good for Peter, did it? Peter embraced that cross and he requested the upside down part because he said he's not worthy to die like Jesus died, right side up. 
What happened to Paul? Paul wrote Romans 13, 1 through 7. What happened to Paul? During Nero's reign, beheaded. Paul and Peter wrote during the reign of Nero, and Nero got him. And Paul and Peter wrote, hey, y'all, honor Nero. And that's our call to us today. Whoever's in office, whoever's on Capitol Hill for the next whatever years of your lifetime, they are to be honored and obeyed so long as they don't call us to defy God's commands because we fear God and we honor His kings. And that's a challenge for us. And I ask you to take the challenge to honor the Lord with even this aspect of your life. Let's pray. Father, would you give us faith to trust what you say? Would you give us humility to obey what you say? Would you give us wisdom to know when to act and not to act? Would you give us wisdom to know when to speak and not to speak? And when you do call us to act and when you do call us to speak... Would it be full of gospel words and actions so that those who look on would see our deeds and give glory to you on the day that you send Jesus back. And it's in his name that I pray this. Amen. Here's how we're going to here's how we're going to end. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, you shall love your enemies and pray for your persecutors. So that you might be called sons of God, for he sends his reign on the evil and on the good. And his son rises on the just and on the unjust. And so I'm, I'm going to ask us, we, we've got to act out this sermon. And, and, and we all have enemies. And we all at times have a common enemy called the government of the United States of America on issues. And Jesus says we're to pray for those who are our enemies and love them and, and pray for our persecutors. So I want us to be a church body that's willing to humble ourselves before the Lord out of fear for him and to pray for the governing authorities that he has established over us. And that might be hard for you, and I plead with you to be humble in these few moments. And we've got the front open. You can huddle up where you are. But can we pray as a people of God for our leaders that he has put over us, that they may rule justly and that they may rule in such a way that God's glory is manifested in the United States of America? Can we do that this morning? So why don't you play for a moment, and then we're going to sing. I kind of called an audible on you here play for a moment and then we'll sing let's go before the lord and pray for these that persecute us okay